Ha, 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 ha. Teeth on the tongue, the tongue on the lips. The human torch was denied a bank loan. The Pope's piano is perfectly pitched. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of uh, Fanspiracy Theories. So this is going to be a good one. Uh, Ryan is unaware of what I'm going to be saying to him. Totally in the dark. Yep. So guess what uh, Guess what this week's is? Um... Just take a guess. Let's just see. just shooting shot in the dark. Shot in the dark. Uh, that Harrison Ford and the Fugitive actually did murder his family. What the hell? I actually never watched the Fugitive. I honestly couldn't tell you the plot. It's been a long time. Wasn't it? Wasn't it a reboot of a previous movie? It. I think it was a take on a old television show. Oh yeah, I think you're right. I think you are correct. No, I've never seen that one. I do know the um, janitor from Scrubs was in that movie. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not it. That's definitely not it. So this oh, okay. one, we're going to go with the um, Kevis, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone grew up to be Jigsaw, the serial killer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this isn't the first time I've heard this one. I actually really like this one. I, I gotta say I, I do like the concept. Um have you never have you ever heard of this one before? I have I think I've heard you mention it. Oh okay. that's like it. Yeah. It's there's actually quite a lot of um evidence to support. And there's even been some science behind it, uh, which I'll go into. <laughs> some scientists who are very huge fans of both Saw and uh Home Alone have actually done the done the research. And uh, giving us the numbers, as it were. And we'll, we'll get into that one. So I'm going to produce some uh, evidence here uh, to support. And then we're going we're gonna to give, uh, give our opinion. And see whether or not we, uh, we like what's going on. We like what okay. they're dishing out. Uh, so I got about um, 13, 14 pieces of evidence here. Let's start with the first one. This particular one is from uh, this particular, uh, what do you call it? Theory. Um, you'll find it on places like, uh, I think Screen Rant has done an article on it. Uh, Grantland did an article on it. Um, Ranker has done an article on it. There's a few places that you'll find it. I can't quite find the origination of the theory, but there's quite, uh, it's been around for a while, actually. Um, so okay. let's start with the first one. The first one uh, is that Kevin's traps are needlessly harmful and utterly sickening. Um, in 2012, there was a doctor by the name of Ryan St. Clair of the Weill Cornell Medical College um, who assessed all the damage the wet bandits had to uh, undergo at the hands of Kevin McAllister. The doctor told an eye-opening account to The Week um, that at some point he believed uh, Kevin moved from defending his house into sheer malice. And that's a quote from The Week. Um, so he describes the damage of a glowing hot doorknob, specifically. You remember that part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that thing was glowing red. Like, if you were to touch a piece of metal in a forge that hot, you would instantly start to melt. Oh, I mean, that that metal that hot is impossible to handle yeah. safely with anything but, like, honestly, <clears throat> gloves. Yeah, so here are the numbers, or some actual numbers. Uh, if this doorknob, and this is a direct quote from uh, Dr. St. Clair, if this doorknob is glowing visibly red in the dark, 
It has been heated to about 751 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, Harry, the wet bandit, gives it a nice, strong one to two second grip. By comparison, one second of contact, this is one second, so literally 1,001, that's a second. With 155 degree water is enough to cause a third degree burn, which is permanent scar damage to the skin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, possibly, but I think it is broken nerve endings, to tell you the truth. So that's one second, and this guy literally held on to it for one to two seconds. I would say closer to three, personally. Hold on, I'm going to bring up, I'm actually going to bring it up on YouTube. Well, I was say, like, when you're in the middle of, like, grasping something like that, it's not always possible for you to immediately let go. Uh, especially your if your hand... reacting to it. Your hand melts onto it. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. You essentially have to, like, rip it off. Your your skin, not the hand. Just to be specific. Yeah, to be very specific. Um. So, all right. So here's the door handle. Uh, hold on. I'm going to get past this ad on YouTube. More like ad tube, am I right? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to turn it on, and I'm going to do some desktop audio. So you're just going to have to imagine it, Ryan, since you're nowhere near where I am. It's okay, I'm a Home Alone expert. All right, so here we go. All right, so he's walking. He's walking back up the icy steps. Here he goes. Visibly red. And 1,001, 1,002. Oh, yep, he was right. He was right. 1,001, 1,002. That's crazy. Yeah. So 1,001, 1,002. That's insane. So back to his... um, The temperature of that doorknob is not quite hot enough to cause Harry's hand to burst into flames, but it's not that far off. Uh, Assuming Harry doesn't lose the hand completely, he will almost certainly have other serious complications, including a high risk for infection and contracture, in which resulting scar tissue seriously limits the flexibility and movement of the hand. Well, once a... the nerves are, are like, seared, they're not recoverable. Yes, rendering it less than 100% useful. Uh, Kevin has moved from defending his house into sheer malice, and that's where the into sheer malice has come into well, effect. Well, I mean, that also, like, takes into effect that he believes... That he can stop them at less than extreme measures, which is, I don't know. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here and say, I don't think Kevin, it's entirely possible that Kevin may or may not have known that this would have, I mean, it's glowing visibly red. You would think at some point he would realize that it's glowing red and he'll be like, well, no one's going to touch that. They're not that stupid. And he thinks, because he's a child, he's thinking in terms of how you would open a door. No right. one's dumb enough to touch the doorknob. He doesn't ever consider the fact that they can just break open the window on that door and then get it, you know, out. So I can, I could see playing that one, that particular one off as him thinking like a child. But at the same time, it's pretty dangerous. And I think he knows that it's pretty dangerous. That's why he used it in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean, he he knows, you know, door handle hot, you don't want to touch it. But like 100%. I don't think he would understand the extent of the damage. Yeah, so what I think I think we're going to start to discover that Kevin is a pyro. 
And we're going to go into the next bit of evidence from Dr. St. Clair. <laughs> Another quote from this particular article. Harry has an interesting reaction to having a lit blowtorch. This is the blowtorch to the scalp, by the way. So Harry has an interesting reaction to having a lit blowtorch aimed directly at his scalp. Rather than remove himself from danger, he keeps the top of his skull directly in the line of fire for about seven seconds. What was likely a simple second-degree skin burn is now a full thickness burn, likely to cause necrosis of the cal calivarium, or skull bone. That means the skin and bone tissue on Harry's skull will be so damaged and rotted, his skull bone is essentially dying and will likely require a transplant. That That's insane. Yeah. Um, however, I don't think that's Kevin's fault. Again, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one. The fact that he kept his head there is, just, you know, beyond him. Yeah, I mean, that's not... Kevin didn't make him stay there. Yeah, that seven seconds was all on him. He could have immediately gotten burned, or if he had seen it, jumped out of the way. Something like that. Although, on the... You would on feel the, it within, like, a second. Yeah, on the you'd feel the heat coming at you almost immediately. Right. On the other hand, the flip side, he chose to put that particular device of, I will call it torture, inside the house instead of on the outside. And so he, he, he was completely hiding it from the outside world, meaning that he was trying to make sure it did get used. So in that particular way, I think, yes, there's a little bit of a sickening twist on that. on that, even though a child was doing it. I'm pretty sure he was more interested in it having it happen as opposed to using it as a deterrent to keep them out of the house. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, you put an ADT sign out, out outside of your house to let people know there there's a an alarm system. So there's an immediate response that's going to happen if you decide to open the door. Whereas if you just don't put the sign out, you're hoping someone's going to use it. There's a thought process there. At least what I think is the thought process. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. It's hard to it's hard to argue in the in the form of a child. Like Kevin is how old? Just under ten, maybe eight to ten years old, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'd say around eight to ten for yeah. sure. Yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to judge his particular mindset, but I have to say that at eight to ten, I am pretty certain I knew. If I pointed a flamethrower at someone, it probably wasn't going to just scare them off. Especially if they're close enough to get <clears throat> within the flame. Well, maybe that's the point of it being inside the house, though. So, like, once he's a they made it inside the house, that, uh, like, if they made it inside the house. So, if they made it inside the house, he's prepared to deal with them versus, uh, you know, sticking to... A, a contingency plan that would leave him totally vulnerable if they just broke a window and got in. Oh yeah, <clears throat> let's move. Let's move on to the next uh, next piece of evidence here. Kevin recreated his childhood basement as jigsaw and riddled it with traps. Um, this theory is actually from Grantland. Um, it alleges that when Kevin grew up to be jigsaw, he recreated the childhood basement and filled it with a lot of traps. If you look at the two here, I'm going to put this in the Discord for you. Okay. Uh, hold on, I'm going to put it in the podcast Discord. Paste. If you look at those two pictures, they are eerily similar to each other. Not Granted, not great similarities, but I would say 
the lighting is definitely pretty close. Yeah, I mean, like, okay. I, I, I see that. And, like, you know, in Hollywood, they reuse sets a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, they just change the angle, usually. I mean, so specifically to me, it looks more like the basement from um, this movie called The Burbs. Oh, Tom yeah. Hanks, uh, than the McAllister basement. I mean, they're both pretty generic-looking basements. Yeah, that's that's fair assessment. But I, I'm not really convinced by that piece of evidence. It's not really, like, crazy. But I could see... I think what they were trying to go for is the fact that he's super terrified of the furnace. So he recreated that terrifying type of furnace for an adult by putting a giant furnace in the middle, like a crematorium furnace in the middle of his friggin' basement. Yeah. It's like the centerpiece. Whereas as you, as you recall in that movie, it seemed like it was the centerpiece of the basement, even though it was really off to the side kind of thing. But a child gets scared of shit like that. So he decided to recreate that scary part of his basement and make it the centerpiece of his adult basement. Or his house of fun basement. You know. I mean, the logic makes sense. but That makes more sense than the way that Grantland set it up to me. Because I don't see the huge similarities between the two basements. Other than the furnace being the centerpiece of it all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really criminal that he uh, didn't put up some uh, Wayne's coating, but, you know, what you going to do when you're focused on a murder furnace? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next bit of evidence is um, Kevin has violent tendencies. Throughout the movie, you'll see it quite often where he'll get perturbed about certain things and it gets a little bit more violent than he needs to be. Uh, for instance, uh, he freaks out completely when his bully brother, Buzz, uh, teases him about how there's no plain cheese pizza left. Um, that combined with the idea that he'd have to share a bed with his coke-guzzling bedwetting cousin, Fuller, uh, drives him over the edge. Uh, and then he s- screams at Buzz and charges him, basically. That's a kid who's uh, acting out for some reason. Probably got a few anger issues he may have to deal with before adulthood. Well, I mean, if you've got your your brother, like, up your ass all the time about, like, literally everything, you know, you're going to react. Oh, yeah. But obviously, if it's not dealt with during childhood, it could become something worse when he gets older. Uh, I think that, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, this kid's going to have problems, but jump from that to, like, elaborate murder basements i i don't know uh, it seems extreme i mean i've listened to a lot of true crime like you say way more than is absolutely necessary you say it's a it's a hard leap but it's always those small steps nobody notices getting okay. super pissed off about there being no plain cheese pizza it's a little it's a small step next thing you know he'll be out back torturing rabbits i don't know Pretty sure that's how well, that, it starts. It, is that what happens in Home Alone 3? That's it. Home Alone 3 was didn't even have Kevin McAllister. It was a completely different family. Well, that's why I went straight to video. Aww. 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 There was Aww. a Home Alone 4, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and I, I'm aware of it. I'm, I'm aware of it. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't plan on uh, watching that. Dun-dun. 
All righty. So there is a there is a nine year old Reddit theory that has since been deleted, but I've got the summary uh, from my research. Uh, that Kevin's home life is the root of all of his issues and the reason he becomes Jigsaw. Uh, he's constantly bullied and ridiculed, like we were just saying. His family forgot him a bunch of times. Yeah, at well, least I guess, twice. I guess at, at least, least twice. twice. We've never seen anything else, but I'm sure it's not the first two times. Now, now Kevin, have you ever been left at like soccer practice or something? Forgotten at soccer practice? Yeah. A have whole you been, step. That's like an I, I'm just saying, have you ever been left somewhere by your family? Left? No. I don't think so. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe at soccer practice they were late, but they always remember to come get me eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it It sucks. It's not a good time. Especially at the time when we were kids, we didn't have cell phones that didn't even yeah, exist. Yeah, there's no way to contact anybody. You're in this place that you don't know how you got there. And, like, you have you're no idea how to, get, yeah, how to get home whatsoever. But, yes. Oh, shit. I lost my place. Sorry. But this is a whopping two times that they forget him. So, getting a lot, getting forgotten at soccer practice, soccer practice is a whole octave down. From being left at home while everyone you know and love goes to Paris. An entirely whole ass different country. That's, yeah, it's a completely different thing. There's no way I would count heads when I'm there. I would, I would, I would not be counting heads. I would be looking everyone in the face inside that bus while they were on their way to the friggin' airport. It's like, Jesus. Right. Um, I, I would literally make them say their name. So this particular theory uh, says that the first time Kevin is forgotten, he gets over it because he believes it to be a genuine mistake. The second time, however, completely shatters his entire worldview and he begins to view everyone as corrupt and believes that no one, not even his mother, can be trusted. And if you can't rely on others to change their beha- your behavior and harmful habits, you need to do it yourself. Oh, sorry. If you can't rely, I didn't read that correctly. If you can't rely on others to change their behaviors and harmful habits, you need to do it yourself. And thus, the jigsaw personality was born. If you can't do it, if you can't murder, murder them yourself. Um, let's. So we're gonna we're gonna jump to to Home Alone two here for another bit of evidence. Um. Kevin actually seeks out the wet bandits in Home Alone 2. So, uh, one could argue that he's protecting himself when he sets up the traps for the wet bandits in the first Home Alone. However, in Home Alone 2, Kevin distinctly seeks them out in a way that seems a little bit jigsaw, if you will. Uh, The wet bandits have served their time after the first film, but by Home Alone 2, they're back to their old tricks. Kevin steps in when he sees them robbing a thrift store, leads them back to his uncle's house, which at this point is basically a murder house stuffed to the gills with booby traps. Jigs- and uh, Jigsaw has a habit of either kidnapping his victims or luring them um, to a house full of tricks. So in now, this case... It's not that I don't believe this theory. It's that I want to see all the steps from this point to Jigsaw 
We're just we're just sell, selling the seeds here. You can completely deny it if you want. That's perfectly all right. But it's getting pretty hard to to deny that he has some pretty similar uh, behavioral patterns as Jigsaw, especially with this one. He literally lured the wet bandits to a house full of you know booby traps. Maybe not deadly ones or lethal ones, but it's just a small step in the right. So it's just a small step in the right in the right direction, as I I would say. We've established that he has some uh, at least behavioral traits that would point him as being Jigsaw, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. We're kind of establishing the uh, the ground rules here. Let's go to uh, the next bit of evidence. Let's take a look. Uh, this one's from Grantland. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Dude, 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 I lost my place. I lost my place, everybody. Calm down. Oh, no. Um, Kevin's nails on the staircase trap, or nail on the staircase trap, was a precursor to Jigsaw's electrified staircase. So, not only does he have some relatively close behavioral traits, he also has used some of these particular uh, traps before. Um, so Jigsaw and Kevin appear to have similar versions of the same traps. Kevin's versions are obviously far more primitive and a little more childlike, and less lethal, I guess, is what you would say. Less intentionally uh, lethal. Yeah, so these primitive traps were just precursors to Jigsaw's tried and true violent killing machines. Um, so, for example, uh, Kevin places broken Christmas tree ornaments for the wet bandits to step on. Uh, Jigsaw straight up makes people walk on broken glass. Um, there's also the one where there's a pit full of uh, hypodermic needles. Um, Kevin coats the basement stairs with tar and nails, which causes Marv to impale his foot on. Uh, Jigsaw crafted an entire electrified staircase with blades and slashed the SWAT team trying to get him. Pretty much grown-up tactics for childlike um, inventions or innovations. Well, I, I, here, here's maybe where I need a clarification on number two. For sure. Uh, I, I forget. He, he is trying to catch them so that the police can get them, right? In Home Alone 2? Yeah. Maybe. That may be like the he, intention like that's portrayed to the audience. Talking about breaking into places and stealing stuff. And he realizes that, oh, I got to catch these guys. I've dealt with these guys before. I can catch them. That's entirely possible his thought process, but here's another scenario for you. Oh, I've seen these guys before. They're real easy to mess with, and I'm really interested in doing what I did to them already again. So, see see how easy it is to flip that coin? Yeah. It may be what was portrayed to the audience was that he tended to to be the the hero, but what I'm saying is he's the anti-hero. He's doing it, but for the wrong reason. Still a hero. Everybody still, loves him. Still a hero. He's <laughs> doing the good thing for the wrong reason. Um, next one is, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, from a Reddit user called Jordoom. Kevin demonstrates he's wildly successful at manipulating. Um, so one of the most concerning parts of Kevin's psyche is how he seamlessly manipulates those who are older and presumably smarter than him. Um, he has a sociopathic sense of charm that's a common trait in serial killers, all the way from Ted Bundy to Charles Manson. Um, Real-life murderers 
like those, as well as um, fictional ones, as such as Norman Bates from the 60s flick Psycho. So, Jordoom points out that Kevin's charm allows him to con himself into a room at an expensive hotel in New York on Christmas Eve. He commits credit card fraud, and when he's confronted by the staff, he manipulates them into doubting them themselves. So, Jordoom alleges that this demonstrates a grandiose ego and startling lack of empathy for others. I mean, he he is very skilled at getting himself a room. Really? That's all you, it's your only takeaway from that? I mean, it, that doesn't automatically lead you to, I'm going to straight up torture people. Like, that's that very easily could lead to just, oh, I can make a ton of money ripping off these rubes and stay at places for free for however long I want because people believe whatever you want them to believe. It's a gateway crime. But it doesn't lead you to murder. It's a gateway crime. Okay. Well, that's the same thing as saying uh, if you're going to smoke some pot, then you're going to go and do some crocodile and lose your skin and teeth and die a week later. So It's not the same thing. Gateway doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Not necessarily, but uh, as we've already pointed out, his behavioral traits, as well as his lack of uh, empathy or understanding of emotion and his narcissistic behavior would probably indicate he's on he's not on a good path. And there's very little at this point anybody can do to stop it. I mean, I don't know. The scenes where uh, he talks to the the like caretaker in the church, it seems pretty, like, you know, like, emotional. I don't know. This was the first one, though. That's the I think we I think we've established we've established that by the second one he's totally done with people in general. And he thinks that if you're going to be the good guy, you better be the good guy and I'm going to make sure that you are the good guy and you enjoy life to the fullest. It's just there's no pleasing you, is there? <laughs> I mean, it's it's 100% <sighs> or 0%. Jesus Christ. On to the next Black one. Black or white, there's no gray. Yeah. Gray doesn't exist. There are no shades of gray. No. There certainly aren't 50 of them. <laughs> 50 shades of gay. Oh, God. Kevin shows interest in helping people change their lives. That's number nine. So Jigsaw's MO is that he kidnaps people and uses murderous games to help them appreciate their lives and ditch their vices. Home Alone, we see what may be very well be the beginnings of this twisted sense of compassion. Uh, I think help is a very specious word here. It, relative. I, I would say it's a very relative um, use or def- definition of the word. Um, what a serial killer might consider help, another person might consider crazy torture and murder. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> we're, we're using relative terms here. Extreme aversion therapy. (laughs) And when I say extreme, I mean with, like, six X's. Uh, Yeah. So in the the scene at the church, Kevin urges the old man, Marley, uh, to dispel his fears and make some positive changes in his life. This moment is as heartfelt as it is absurdly adult for a little child. Is he he wise behind beyond his years, or is he just sociopathic? You know what I think it is? Plot device. Plot device. Plot device. 
remember when this movie was made. This is not like current cinema where subtlety exists. This was the height of hyperbole and everything that went into like making these kind of movies had to be sensational because they had to be like a gigantic hit. Otherwise it was pointless making it. Mm. Or at least that's how uh, the company is like. You're thinking, you're thinking of it as a, as a movie. I'm thinking of it as a real life, you know, persona, person, person, person. Anyway, I would say you're probably right if you were thinking in terms of it being a movie, a fictional story, but we're we're thinking in terms of it being a real person's life that we're watching here. So you gotta start thinking that way. Otherwise you're gonna start saying it's just fiction. Well, I mean, I I'm definitely engaged in the argument, but you know Oh yeah, you're definitely to engaged. Acknowledge that like the the how things are viewed and written makes a difference on when you're talking about it. <clears throat> it really does. It also changes your perception of how the events play out. Right. When we start to talk about them as if they're real people ha- doing these things, it starts to sound like he is, in fact, a sociopath. And he, he may very well be a psychopath. Um, but when we're talking about the way that things happen in a movie... Like the cartoonish nature of the fact that the, the handle was glowing at the beginning is not something you think about in a movie as being super dangerous. It's just a glowing doorknob and the fact that he grabs it and he lets out a most comedic type of uh, yell slash scream. Slash, uh, I mean, it's very, very clearly influenced by uh, Looney Tunes and that type of thing. It's very vaudevillian um, acting. So as everything is super cartoonish, it's very outlandish. It's, it's nothing is done uh, by accident. It's all done for show. Um, but the next one is is pretty is pretty convincing for me at least. Um, the way that Kevin sets up his traps, a very Rube Goldbergian way, um, are easily precursors to Jigsaw's elaborate death traps since he goes out of his way to make sure there's step-by-step ways of either making it out or dying. Like, they're extremely elaborate. And Mm -hmm. we did see in multiple Saw movies that they seem to be all connected. Multiple different stories happening simultaneously. Uh, Now, I've only seen, like, Saw 1 and 2. I think that Saw 2 and 3 happened simultaneously. I think... I don't know it's much about been, the Sawverse. It's been it's been a while since I watched one of those, but I'm f- pr- pretty confident that that's a thing. How many Saw movies are there? Are there like eight, six or seven? Maybe a little more. I'm not really hundred percent. No, there's that one. a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really hundred percent on that one. This one's also from uh, Reddit user Jord Doom. Good name, by the way. Yeah. Um, we first see Kevin set up his Rube Goldberg-inspired traps to protect himself against the wet bandits. It's clear Kevin views these traps, which are often triggered by the bandits themselves, as both a means of survival and a game. Uh, instead of enlisting the help of adults, such as his neighbors, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have a bunch of them around, uh, Kevin's detailed devices allow him to trap, torture, and watch as all of this unfolds for his victims. <laughs> 
um, all things that Jigsaw revels in. Um, as Reddit user Jordoom points out, Kevin appears to revel in the pain and torment of two men who are essentially nonviolent and unarmed. Try for a second to say that the staple gun trap for Home Alone 2 isn't almost identical to something Jigsaw would rig on a door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say that some of the traps that he created, regardless of whether or not it was childlike or anything, they were all elaborate. And they were all... I wouldn't say all of them. I would say a good portion of them were designed for him to sit there and watch. Like, you, you saw it with the the whole them getting in and then him leading them up the stairs to smack them in the face with a giant paint can that probably would have broken their nose if not their their um, cheekbones. Especially because it hit them square in the face. Yeah. Like, that... That was designed as a, as a means of trapping them and luring them in, but it was elaborate because it was all happening simultaneously with the other things. It's pretty hard to say that that's not very Jigsaw of him. Well, it's again, it's talking about intent. Like, yeah, maybe he's watching, but maybe he's not watching as, like, pleasure, but to make sure that they're not, you know, getting up from it so they can, like, strangle him. Yeah, yeah. And the last bit uh, bit of evidence that I, I would say is probably the um, piece de resistance and it's probably pretty convincing in my opinion is that uh, he's completely fascinated by his next door neighbor. Um, old Man Marley where when Buzz describes him as um, being the South Bend Shovel Slayer. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's completely captivated by it, by the story that Buzz lays out for him. And I don't think it's because he's scared of him so much as he's fascinated by him. Well, I think we have to also think about his um, situation. Like, yeah, he's in a big family, but like he's also like very clearly in a wealthy family. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the mom works, does she? Uh, I don't remember if they even uh, mentioned it. Don't even in, mention uh, what the dad movie. does. Right. I don't think they talk about that part of the family's life at all. But, like, this is this giant house. He has several siblings, but they're still going to Paris. Like. Yeah. Not, o- <laughs> not, you know, not only are they going to par- Paris with their family, they're taking the uncle and the cousins. They're taking like how many people is it? Eighteen or something to Paris? It's a very large group of people. And we're fairly confident the only ones actually paying for anything were the main parents or Kevin's parents in this case. At least that's what they made it seem like, yeah. Yeah, because I don't think that the uncle was paying for the pizzas at the beginning. I'm pretty sure they made a comment about the whole thing. How he uh, wasn't yes, paying for the pizza. I think they did mention that, yeah. yeah. So like what the hell does he do when he's got all the money in the world and entertainment is at a premium he tortures people <laughs> well i was going to make the point that he he doesn't understand like the effect of the things he does on other people because he interacts with other people less i got gotcha. you i see where you're going with that yeah, it's not like he's he's living in a giant apartment building where he sees like 
you know, 10 or 12 of his neighbors every day in and out when he's in and out of the building. He doesn't have like a cadre of kids that he's playing with in the courtyard. Yeah. Like he's either isolated because his, it's very clear that his siblings bully him or uh, that he's spending time maybe with his parents or other adults in the family, which I uh, like is not great for kids. Yeah. So I think, so, so what we've established so far is that he is bullied um, by his older siblings, uh, even by his cousins. He is, in some ways, ruthlessly tortured by them. Um, he is abandoned by his family twice in pretty significant ways both times. So it's really hard for him to trust anybody at this point. So he sort of goes off on his own. Um, he shows a, I would say, distinct um, style of compassion that is twisted in its own uh, its own way. It's like it's like the compassion a, a wolf might have for a smaller animal. And when I, I say and when I say compassion, I think that. I don't think it's actually compassion. I think it's he feels bad for him because the, the small animal really can't do anything to defend itself. That's the kind of thing I'm trying to go for. So maybe it's more pity. Maybe pity. Yeah, it's yeah. probably closer to pity. They call it compassion. I don't think it's compassion. I think it's pity. Um, we've established he enjoys engineering scenarios in which he can watch as his victims are tortured. Uh, we have established that he enjoys watching. Um, he also enjoys creating these scenarios that uh, play out his weird sense of twisted morality so that people stop wasting their lives and start acting right, changing their behaviors so they're not such douchebags. Um, so I think... All in all, I'd have to give this a pretty solid effort in terms of uh, the conspiracy theory. I think it's dead on. Uh, I think it's definitely probably more solid than the ones we've talked about so far. I don't know. Uh, I, well, I think it's very dependent on context. I would right? say. So I if, would say that. Sorry, after you. Uh, if we're considering like all these things as being the truth um, without like exception, then yeah, it, it seems like a hundred percent possible. But if it's, uh, you know, contextualized by like what's happening in the house and what's happening outside in his like normal life, it's maybe not so clear that that would be the case, but I think, you know, it's still, even still considering context that it still kind of leans that way. So it's still very strong. The uh, evidence is extraordinarily compelling compared to some of the things that we've gone over. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially the, the the Big Lebowski one that we went over. That one didn't really have a lot of evidence. And even the Ferris Bueller uh, theory that we went over, where it's all in Cameron's mind, I'm pretty sure that the evidence point pointed to um, the answer that we had come up with. So the evidence, the, or at least the theory that they had decided upon wasn't really good for the evidence that they chose to uh, to bring. 
right. I think I think what we created was better with what the facts were saying. Um, but this one, this one's got pretty compelling evidence. They've established his motive, his behavior, and um, his lack of, or semi-lack of morality or his twisted morality pretty much points to the fact that he could, in fact, be Jigsaw. So, this one is a, this one's a thumbs up from me. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I would definitely give it a thumbs up. So, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this one. Um, let us know if you've got any particular theories you'd like us to go over, or if there's some comics that you'd like us to read, or if you uh, just want to talk about Stargate, that's perfectly fine. Uh, you can hit us up on Podchaser at our pod, uh, sorry, our podcast page. You can also hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at Seven Days to RSG. Uh, let us know what you think. We will. Uh, we'll see you later. Later, Gators. All right. Peace.